Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something epic. This is Paratruth Radio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Parachute Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Welcome to, this is going to, now the end of September already. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. Uh, because as we said a few weeks ago, time's going to fly and we're going to be into our favorite time of year. Fall is right around the corner. In fact, the day we're recording this particular episode is officially the last day of summer. Blows my mind. Go figure. Our last day of summer in Ohio would be very fall-like outside. Cool, (laughs) rainy, and gray. Disappointment. I was hoping we'd go out with a little sunshine, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been weird here all year, and now it's kind of fluctuating between being cool and then all of a sudden we're in 80 degree temperatures. Then it'll be cool. And then we're up into 95. And then it's just weird. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot that might be going into that. And of course, we've discussed it in the past. And sure, we can do an entire episode on the idea of global warming and why exactly these temperatures are fluctuating as is. I've learned, not learned, I've been, I've heard numerous reports or rumors stating that. Two things. One, our our winter this year is going to be absolutely horrible in Northeast Ohio. Uh, We know if it's going to be bad here, it's definitely going to suck for you up in North Dakota. But I've also heard that the winters is going to be relatively mild due to global warming. And I I think one of the things that people just don't understand, because, you know, I, I think logically you would think, oh, global warming, everything's warming up. It should be a mild winter. But that's not so much the case because when it comes to global warming, there are various aspects uh, to it, which means an extreme change in temperatures, uh, temperature fluctuations uh, throughout the world. So who knows? It could go either way. I think, honestly, it's going to be kind of a medium winter where we're going to have some decent days. And then when we have those bad days, they're going to be really bad. Well, Shelly's mom has said it's going to be a mild winter here, which I hope is not the case because we didn't get a whole lot of rain at all throughout the summer. We've gotten a little bit this year, which makes it a, a very dry season here and doesn't make it very fun because my grass is crunchy. So mm. Yeah, you don't want crunchy grass. You need to have chewy yeah. grass. Right. Especially when I want to go have a fire in my backyard and it Oh yes. Yeah. There's the burn ban. <laughs> but it might be decent for uh for Sarge's stomach when he's chewing on grass. Maybe that rougher texture is a little better. (laughs) So today we're going to have on Preston Dennett. He is the author of The Healing Power of UFOs. Interesting. We've never really discussed healing powers uh, when it comes to alien species or UFOs in general. So I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting conversation tonight uh, with Preston to really learn what this is all about. 
Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So your book, The Healing Power of UFOs, is actually a very new concept to us uh, because when we do our research and talk to people who've had UFO encounters or encounters with alien species, one of the last things they ever talk about, if at all, is healing powers or being healed in some way. Um, it's always something very scary that they're encountering, something that's harmful in some way, uh, you know, talking about abductions, things like that. What is it about this book? Uh, or I guess more so, how did you come about writing this book? Right? What really inspired it and uh, what stories came along with that? Uh, this was actually something I've been working on for years, researching the subject. I got involved in this field in 1986 and uh, never really thought I was going to be writing about it, but one thing led to another and uh, was started writing articles, had written about 30 articles. And so I'd been in this field for about 10 years. And I interviewed this lady who I'll call Wendy, who was having incredible encounters. Uh, she's definitely for real. She actually showed me a UFO twice. So I know her case is for real. And she described this incident that happened to her where she was healed. And I said, oh, really? What happened? <laughs> and she said that she had been diagnosed with a tumor in her fallopian tubes. It was causing all kinds of problems. It was very painful. And she had it MRI'd and scheduled for surgery. And literally the night before surgery occurred, she had a visitation in her bedroom. She doesn't really remember what happened other than that they came and uh, she's like, oh, I don't know what this means, but she went to the doctor the next day and uh, they did the pre-imaging before the operation. And they said, this is strange. We cannot find your tumor. Did you go to the doctor? Did you have surgery? And she said, no, no, I didn't. At this point, she knows kind of <laughs> what's going on. And they said, well, we know you did uh, because these images show fluid that's present in your fallopian tubes, which can only be present following surgery. And they pointed to some, what looked like laser scars on her abdomen. And they said, I said, we know you had surgery. What's going on? Tell us. And she played dumb. She says, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, they said, well, your cyst is gone. No, it's just not there anymore. So she's pretty sure that she was healed. And she's telling me this and starts ringing alarm bells in my head because I immediately thought of another case investigated by Jacques Vallée where a guy was healed of an axe wound on his foot and partial paralysis after being struck by a beam of light from a UFO uh, in his house in the Pyrenees in France. And other cases started coming to my mind. I mean, I knew there was a case involving a Peruvian customs official also struck by a beam of light, cured of nearsightedness and rheumatism. His rheumatism, which was chronic, cleared up. And another case was involved two police officers in Damon, Texas, came upon a UFO, struck by a beam of light. One of them had been bitten by his son's baby pet alligator on his finger and uh, had a, you know, a wound that was all swollen and painful, bandaged up. So that he's struck by this beam of light and he can feel it. It's all warm and tingling. And this is a very well verified case. He ended up being uh, interviewed by a general from Pease Air Force Base. Uh, he, the guy who it happened to was 
the boss of like 60 people. I mean, a great witness. So I'm thinking, hmm, this might be a good article. And I started collecting a few others that I knew about. And I started to find quite a few more. I'm like, wow, how did I miss this? <laughs> uh, a, a lot of these cases were sort of pushed to the fringe, not mentioned much. Uh, but I ended up finding, after about a year of research, more than 100 cases. Wow. And that, yeah, that ended up being my first book. And it just snowballed from there. I got asked to speak on it. Every single time I spoke on this subject, someone would come up from the audience or, you know, email, or well, back then it was letters, uh, but started being emails and telling me their cases. And I just got more and more and more and eventually had to put out another book. So I now have more than 300 documented cases. Wow. Crazy. It's very yeah, crazy. It's nuts. So well, it's, in it's, 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 sorry, Justin, go ahead. Oh, that's all right. Um, I was just going to ask, in all the cases that you have come across, were these people being treated by doctors and then all of a sudden just randomly cured? Or was it just some of them, they like the bite on the finger and stuff like that, where they didn't know they were sick and, you know, they were just not feeling right? Or what was the case with a lot of these cases? Right. Some are definitely somewhat random where people are not necessarily going to a doctor. I mean, people had back aches healed, uh, you know, common cold, flu. Uh, but some definitely were going to the doctor for treatment of, you know, cancer or diphtheria or diabetes or major, major illness. And uh, in fact, what I found is 10% of the cases actually, this shocked me, <laughs> took place inside a hospital, in their hospital room, uh, which, I mean, sounds wild, but I kept getting mm -hmm. cases. So yeah, doctors are involved in a good number of these cases, but certainly not all of them. Okay. And so it seemed like, uh, you know, within your research and, you know, all these stories, uh, the healing was very specific to the person and what they were going through like it wasn't one of those things where they saw a beam of light and they were completely healed head to toe of any and all you know little scratches or dry hands or you know mental you know problems disabilities you know psychological things this is very specific to oh it's this cancer that's been removed or it's this cut that's been healed um and that's it right there's nothing more broad uh well yes and no okay. uh there are so many cases that you can pretty much march out different scenarios. Uh, there are several cases where people are healed of multiple uh, conditions, two usually. Uh, I mean, there was one lady who was in a car accident. She was pulled out of the scene of the accident. The ETs told her, you died in this accident. Your brainstem was severed. That wasn't supposed to happen, and we're going to heal you. And uh, she was like having an out-of-body experience at this point, looking at herself on the table inside this craft uh, surrounded by grays and they healed her they healed up her face all this stuff broken bones but they left a bunch of injuries they said we can't heal everything some of this is karmic uh, and that turns up in a couple of cases as well and there are some people who are given what would amount to a health upgrade like one case is john hunter gray 
who is a social worker and was driving along with his son through Richland Center, Wisconsin, and had a typical missing time encounter, in most respects typical, uh, and spontaneously recalled a few weeks later being pulled on board by Grays, injected in various parts of his body, like his adrenal glands and it was his pancreas or something. And uh, he was a healthy man at the time, uh, but following this incident, he said he experienced more than 20 physiological improvements. He grew a couple of inches. Mind you, he's middle-aged. His feet grew two sizes. His, he had scars, which disappeared. His hair started growing twice as fast as normal. His nails, he quit smoking. I mean, he had a whole list of stuff that changed. And there's a lot of cases like that. John Mack talked about this, health upgrades. R.D. Sixkiller-Clark, one of my favorite new researchers who's interviewing indigenous people and has written, I think, three books, uh, had a case that, which was really interesting to me involving a bicycle racer who was pulled on board and he doesn't really remember what happened except following this missing time encounter. He was stronger, faster, and uh, started winning all these bicycle races, uh, became hmm. you know, very successful. So yeah, sometimes they come for a specific reason. One girl was dying of diphtheria. This is a case from David Jacobs. Uh, and ETs pulled her on board, put her in this tube, filled it with blue light, and pu put her back in her bedroom. And she recovered from diphtheria, which the doctors were there and thought that she was going to die uh, that day, actually. But she recovered. Oh. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely crazy that this does not get more attention. Right. right. Take, absolutely. Can, yeah. Every, every single major researcher, almost without exception, seriously, has these cases. John Mack, David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, Barbara Lamb, Yvonne Smith, Edith Fiore. I mean, Jacques Vallée, I can go on. They all have these cases and more than one, a lot of them. Yeah, because when I had seen the title of the book, I had never heard of any any specific instances, maybe a story here or there of somebody being healed. But, um, you know, when you, when you hear about UFO cases, you always hear about abduction. Uh, there was an implant involved. Uh, some type of study was done, stuff like that, especially when they are uh, memory reverted and they get their memories back. So it's interesting that you had found thousands of cases that are specific to healing. Now you had brought up the grays. Did people bring up seeing other races of, of aliens? Oh yeah, absolutely. Grays predominate. Uh, most of the healings are done by grays. That was a, actually a real surprise to me. Uh, but human looking, for sure. Uh, there are praying mantis healings, strange humanoids. One lady was suffering from, I, tr I was able to track some of these cases personally, quite a few actually. And I talked to this one lady, a housewife from Nebraska, who has no idea why she's healed. She's not you know, someone who's particularly influential in any way. Uh, but she was suffering from what appears to be, you know, the doctors couldn't diagnose this, but it was a you know, blood sugar disorder, uh, maybe hypoglycemia. 
because she was fainting several times a day and losing weight rapidly and her blood sugar was fluctuating wildly. And she was walking, woke up one evening to go get some juice and a peanut butter sandwich because she needed, you know, to have food or juice next to her just in case her blood sugar dropped. And suddenly was not in her living room. She found herself in what appeared to be an, she thought it was an underground base because it was so big. It was like an auditorium, she said, with a huge domed ceiling, indirect lighting, uh, and it had carpet <laughs> on the floor, industrial carpet, like in an office building, and cubicles, little cubicles. She said there had to be 100 cubicles, and she's looking across the little corridor there, and there's another guy. He's wearing a plaid shirt and uh, brown hair, brown eyes. He's dazed as she is. She's feeling a little bit out of it. And she's like, hi, my name's you know, Jill. That's not her real name. And he's like, my name's Cooper. That is his real name. Uh, and they started talking and trying to orient themselves and just doing small talk. And suddenly this figure starts walking towards her down the corridor. You know, she peers out into the corridor and she can see this tent. She's nine to 10 feet tall, human looking, mostly human looking, but obviously not human. His eyes were way too big. He had a huge chin, a giant forehead, and not hair as much as what looked like straw, three inches high, <laughs> orange straw sticking straight up. Hmm. And she screamed. She screamed bloody murder because uh, he came right for her and said, it's your turn, Jill, and pushed her down on the table, wrapped her up in this kind of cloth-like thing and put these bell-shaped silver instruments on her body, which started pulsing energy into her body very strongly. She said it was terrifying. And uh, she's screaming and sweating and tr you know, trying to fight all of this. But next thing she, she knows, she passes out and some undetermined time passes and she wakes up back in her living room uh, and uh, very confused. She says it's a couple of hours later, at least she's not really sure. Uh, ran to wake up her husband who would not wake up. Tried to wake up her children, none of them would wake up. It took her about a half an hour to wake her family up. And they were very supportive, although, you know, shocked and a little bit, you know, confused, but believed her. And uh, it was following this, she said she was very sore afterwards for about two weeks. But following this, she didn't pass out the next day or the day after that, her weight started gaining weight and she finally came to the conclusion that they had healed her. Uh, well, she's not sure why, but yeah, all kinds of ETs are doing this, but mostly Grace. Interesting. Hmm. And there's no indication that maybe the healing is just uh, something that's second nature to maybe something else that they're doing, some sort of experimentation and the result happens to be healing. Uh, it seems almost like they're literally choosing to heal individuals for whatever reason, whatever that purpose may be. Um, but my, my question then is, do these uh, particular people uh, really seem to be random cases or do they maybe have some sort of history that you've come across uh, where maybe they've had previous encounters of some sort, uh, maybe at a much younger age? 
yeah, that's hard to be a million dollar question in my mind. I'm like, why, you know, why not everybody? Why some people, not others? And I started analyzing all the cases and looking at the people and it wasn't race, uh, it wasn't religion, it wasn't blood type, it wasn't age. There are cases involving very elderly people and young, young infants and everything in between, evenly divided between men and women, almost exactly. Uh, I was getting stumped at some point, but uh, definitely that is one pattern which you mentioned. People who are being healed, about 50% of them do have a history, a long history of encounters. These are people who are part of the ET gen genetic plan, I guess you might call it, mm -hmm. because uh, they're following their families. You know, their parents have had encounters, their grandparents, their children. So a good 50% does fit under that pattern. Found a few who are friends of contactees, and somehow that worked, just being you know <laughs> friends with somebody. Uh, other than that, it was difficult to come up with any patterns. I did find one and it shocked me because uh, John Hunter Gray, who I mentioned was a social worker. I started running into an awful lot of social workers. There's one guy, Michael Carter. He fights against racism and is a, you know, a reverend and does all these you know, social work. He was healed of a blood clot. I talked to a lady in Norway who has no history of encounters whatsoever and said the greys come into her bedroom, flipped her around like a rag doll, scared the living daylights out of her, put her on her stomach, pressed this instrument against her back, which pulsed energy into her, and then filed out through the wall and took off. Hmm. A, and I'm like, okay, you know, what, what do you do for a living? She said, well, I'm a retired graphics artist right now, but when that happened, I was an artist, uh, but I quit my job. Uh, a short time after that and became uh, involved in human rights activists and animal rights. So please don't use my name because I'm pretty well known in my community. I'm like, huh. So I started looking at people's profession and that was definitely a pattern. It's a lot of artists, a lot of social workers, a lot of environmentalists, teachers, writers, police officers, doctors, 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 <laughs> lots of doctors inventors. I mean, people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity are the ones who are getting healed, which to me is really encouraging and sort of speaks mm -hmm. towards the ET agenda. This, you know, I know these encounters can be very scary and not everyone is having what we would term, you know, friendly encounters, mm -hmm. but it's very scary, particularly in the beginning and people who work through their, you know, that fear start to have really much more spiritual and benevolent encounters. And I'm telling you, I've looked at this, you know, every which way, what's happened, what happens when someone's taken on board. And the very worst I hear is the physical exam, which is often really scary. And in a few cases, painful. Uh, but I think people are being healed. I think that's what's happening here. And a lot of people never move beyond that. And just, you know, they're terrified and they label this as evil and traumatic and bad for them. And I don't think the, that's reputation is necessarily warranted. Because uh, I see this again and again and again, people who actually work through that realize that this is good for them. I'm not getting accounts of sadism or torture 
or ETs, you know, <laughs> I want to hurt you. No, that's not what, it's not their agenda. It's far from it. It's first thing out of their mouth, well, out of their head, I should say, is don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. Uh, but people have such a strong fear reaction that it's hard for people to move past that. Right. And to think like some of these stories uh, about alien encounters, they show up you know, on TV most often, especially on like travel channel, things like the uh, networks like that, uh, who really cover this type of stuff. And they really drive up the fear factor because fear gets ratings. Uh, and so with that being on such a broad level across the world, people just naturally who maybe have never experienced such a thing uh, will continue to believe that there's something much more horrific going on than what there may really be. Um, not to say that there isn't some possibility that some race uh, of alien is maybe doing some harmful things. I mean, the idea of commutilations is a little odd. Uh, it's hard to say, oh, but it's a good thing that they're doing that because uh, we don't know the, the context of it. Um, but as a oh, working theory, can I, can I speak to that real quick? Absolutely. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. The cattle mutilations. Cause I looked into that having written a book, you know, UFOs over Colorado and New Mexico, both which are heavy hit by the cattle mutilations. And, uh, often people are like, how can you say, you know, these are good when they're mutilating animals. Okay. And, uh, I've talked to some of these researchers who specialize in mutilations and Ultimately, their conclusion is this is largely government, which is shocking to me. Gabe Valdez, that's what he said. You know, Larry Fawcett, uh, a bunch of these uh, researchers are pointing more towards government than the ETs doing this. And mm. I talked to some contactee, one lady I'm interviewing now is a fully conscious contactee, kind of like Jim Sparks. And there's a handful of people who don't need to go under hypnosis, who do not have amnesia. And she gets livid when people blame the ETs for the mutilations. She says, they do not do that, period. The end. I'm not entirely convinced because there are cases where UFOs are showing up uh, when these mutilations are occurring. But then again, our government does have UFOs and are flying them around. I've been told from people who sh are in a position to know that a good... 10 to 20% of what people think RETs is not. So, yeah, the whole cattle mutilations, I think, is something that really deserves a second look and more study before we conclude that, you know, this is ETs for sure doing it. Right. Has, has, did anyone uh, happen to suggest why government would be doing it? Yeah, for genetic research. Okay. Uh, which is a big, big thing. Uh, this is, from my understanding, one of the big things that they're doing in Area 51 and other Air Force bases is genetic research. And of course, you know, germ and bacterial research and reverse engineering and this sort of thing. Uh, but genetics is a big, big thing uh, within the, you know, the secret government in the military. Sure. They're studying it. That's a big thing with the ETs too, though. Uh, I did find out that cattle DNA has long, large strands, which are virtually identical to human DNA. And for that matter, DNA does not vary all that much between any species. Uh, I mean, chimpanzees are 90, over 98% identical to human. 
Uh, one of the reasons people do point towards the mutilations is a lot of them have are in areas where there has been a lot of nuclear research uh, fallout and research. So that was a connection which some researchers have pointed to. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely a problem. It's still going on. It doesn't get a whole lot of publicity. Uh, right today, ranchers yeah. are yeah, ranchers are suffering up to the present day, losing a lot of money. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, and the government is not much help, and that could be because they don't want people to know that. You know, they are at least in part. We know that they're in part involved because the black helicopters are there. All, I don't want to say always, but hmm, a lot of the time. Right. Right. Yeah. It, uh, a, um, I had seen a, a video uh, a couple of days ago uh, where um, I forget the, the gentleman's name who was a Area 51 scientist and he came out about it. I can never remember his name off the top of my head, but he was Bob talking Lazar? about. Yeah, Bob Lazar. Yeah, it was Bob Lazar. Um, and he was talking about how uh, the the government would go and fly one of these uh, reverse engineered UFOs to finally say, oh, they're here to contact us and make it this huge fiasco when really it's it's our own government trying to trick us. Yeah, I am worried about that. I mean, back in the, when I was doing research, when I started, I should say, there weren't really, you know, drones were not a thing. Right. Uh, people were talking about, oh, disclosure is going to happen. And of course, it never did. And it right. still really hasn't. Uh, but now we've got drones. And uh, I think we're, I mean, looking at all the whistleblower accounts, and I've talked to some people firsthand who are within the military or you know, civilian contractors who work for the military uh, who have talked about reverse engineering. We're, you know, as researchers, I think the research community is pretty darn sure that our government is flying this stuff around. And I'm worried about it because there's this weird alien threat narrative that's being pushed pretty hard. And uh, as I said, I don't think it's warranted. I really, really don't. I'm not going to say they're all our space brothers by any means. It's a big universe. But I think if you look at it logically, I mean, they, we know these ETs have been around for millennia and have, in a very advanced way. They're more than thousands of years ahead of us. It's probably hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions. Uh, the idea that they are here to take over our planet is ludicrous. I had a contactee, she asked them flat out. This is a lady who's in my latest book, Wondrous. And uh, she had a really major telepathic conversation with this gray, who said, my name is Sen. And they just talked. And she said, are you here to take over our planet? And he said, no, we, your planet is far too crowded and you guys are way too aggressive and emotional. We, there are many other planets that are virtually empty that we would much more prefer. We have no interest in your planet, but we do have interest in your genetics. Because hmm. uh, he's told her that the, they are essentially human, that they once looked like us. Uh, but due to 
genetic intervention and space travel and radiation poisoning, their DNA has become degraded and they're having a lot of trouble reproducing and uh, are also trying to reintroduce more emotions uh, because they are, have somewhat bred those out in an attempt to sort of uh, stop warfare and aggression in their own species. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that turns up in case after case after case. Uh, I've talked to many people and I've certainly seen it in the files of Barbara Lamb and Yvonne Smith and all the other major researchers. Uh, that's why the greys are you know, creating so-called hybrid babies. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, like the idea of you had mentioned these greys claiming that they once looked like us, but due to radiation and time travel or uh, being on this space, you know, has changed their overall look and genetics. Um, there's been some speculation that aliens, whatever race, uh, are actually future versions of humanity. And the reason that sometimes you'll see a UFO just vanish, not necessarily leave, you know, Earth, but just vanished in thin air is because they're jumping through time portals and they're actually jumping back and forth through time to revisit their past life or their past selves or past, you know, us uh, to better understand and re-alter the genetics to help them in the future. Uh, and, you know, it's an interesting theory now that you bring that up too. It just has some more relatability to what other people have said on our show. Um, do you think it's possible that there is more, like just, just in theory, uh, whether or not there's more of a link between aliens and humanity than what many people think, as opposed to a completely different race, maybe just the same race with obvious alterations due to whatever reasons? Yeah, I, I do think our relationship is far closer than most people realize. What exactly it is, I think we're still in the learning stages. Mm -hmm. I am not convinced that they're time travelers from our future. I mean, there are a few cases you can march out which sort of imply or point to that in a little bit. And they can time travel. We, they can, I don't want to say stop time, but they're pulling people out of the time stream. Mm -hmm. I've got many cases where, you know, someone's being abducted and everything is frozen. Their whole family is frozen. The birds in the sky are frozen and they're being pulled into this craft and nothing's moving something's going on there that lady who i mentioned who was you know healed of injuries in a car accident was put back in the scene of the accident uh minutes after it occurred seconds mm -hmm. and wow. uh she says that operation took at least an hour so they can telescope time they can contract time uh, they can do all kinds of stuff with time yeah uh, it, but it's curious to, to wonder like whether it's that they have some sort of manipulation over time or whether they have some sort of manipulation over their selves in terms of speed, uh, moving fast enough where they're in this type of little bubble where time seems real. Uh, so an hour to do the surgery, but in reality, from the outside looking in, they're doing the surgery within seconds, just, you know, pick up the tool, zip, zap, done, put them back just move so fast that we think of it as a time interruption or of them manipulating time when in reality it's just the amount of speed that they're able to use for themselves. Yeah, I don't know. One lady I talked to, she says they took her for like a week and put mm -hmm. her back an hour later. Crazy. She's just gone one hour, but she spent a week. Yeah. 
up there. And I'm like, ooh, and it's not the only case like that. But yeah, I think they probably are related to, to us in some way. And uh, I mean, there's, they're all humanoids. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Everyone, everyone's got arms and legs and eyes and mouth. I'm like, what? It's so Star Trek. <laughs> right. <laughs> I go, I, I, that's kept me out of the field, actually. I'm like, no, shut up. Uh, I think ETs would have, you know, tentacles or they'd be right. a blob. They would be something we couldn't even fathom. But nope, they are humanoid almost universally. I hmm. can think of one case <laughs> offhand where, you know, I mean, there are like light beings. Uh, but there's one case in, in, I think it was Swiss, Sweden or somewhere, where people came upon blob-like aliens. Uh, but mm. almost always, and even when it comes to like robotic creatures, uh, people will describe arms and legs and eyes mm. and, and, you know, a head. So the, the mm. fingers might vary. <laughs> three, right. three right. to six fingers. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, they're all humanoids, uh, which makes me really serious. I mean, some look just like us. Exactly. Well, I mean, they're often described as very good looking and muscular and six feet tall and right. <laughs> genetically perfect. Uh, but uh, really, essentially, they look just like us. So what does that say about who, who we are? I'm right. not so sure we even evolved on this planet. <laughs> Um, right. I'm, I'm seriously, there's a book out. I was pretty excited to read it because I've been saying this for a while. I'm like, you know, the fact that there are ETs out there that look like us, you know, what does that say about human origins? This guy wrote a book, Humans Are Not From Earth, Ellis Silver. And he builds a pretty compelling argument that we're not really suited, <laughs> well suited for this planet. You know, can only live in a very narrow temperature zone. The gravity's bit too heavy for us anyone over six feet tall or, or you know five nine or five eight has lower back problems and I mean, he's got a whole series of you know arguments as to why we're not really well suited to this planet oh. so maybe hmm. we aren't from here yeah it's crazy to think about interesting yeah all right, Preston. Well, we are getting close to the end of the show, so I wanted to give you the chance to tell everybody where they can find your books, find you, all that good stuff. The mic is all yours. Oh, awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, the book Healing Power of UFOs is available on Amazon and uh, other online re retailers. You can also go to my website. If you just use a search engine under my name, it should take you there. PrestonDennett.Weebly.com got excerpts of the book there and people can contact me uh, through my website if they've got a healing story or even, you know, an injury story. They're not all good. I know a guy in England, boy, he's just not happy. He does not like these grays. They are messing with him. And hmm. another guy I'm currently interviewing and in, I think it's Maine. Uh, he's all, or Michigan rather. That's right. Uh, he's not a happy camper either. It's not always, you know, puppies and rainbows by any means. Right. Uh, but yeah, you can contact me through my website if you've got a question or a story or, or a comment. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. I think this Absolutely. is an important subject, and it's gonna got it's gonna come out. Disclosure is gonna happen. ETs are gonna show themselves. 
I think open official contact is going to come at some point. I hope so. Right. Hope soon. Right. Right. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. All right. Well, thank you for being on Paratruth Radio. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. That was Preston Dennett. Uh, make sure you check out his website. Check out all of his great books. Uh, this one was rather interesting because we had never heard about it before. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. You'll hear Eric's random fact of the day, a quick commercial, and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Did you know that there has for some time been a myth that the sweet liquid of Coca-Cola was originally green? The myth has existed for years, and many people have debated whether the myth was true. Fortunately, Coca-Cola set the story straight when they announced that Coca-Cola is, and always has been, a shade of brown. So then, where does the myth come from? Some speculate that it originated due to the green glass bottles that the cola was originally packaged in. The light green hue could easily have drawn people to believe that the cola itself was actually green. This was Eric's random fact of the day. <laughs> there are spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. Go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone give me Brian Anderson. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s, and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested. 
through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. We were just on the line with Preston Dennett. Uh, He is the author of The Healing Power of UFOs. Uh, The book on this thing is crazy huge. Um, I'm not going to recommend it, but you can certainly hurt somebody with it if you wanted to. Uh, So I don't know how that works if you're going to read about healing and in the process hurt someone else with it. But, you know, maybe you can call on some aliens and have them heal. I was going to say hurt Um, them so that you can... (laughs) Get the proof that the book is telling the truth. Uh, but for real, though, I mean, this is this is definitely a subject that we've never talked about. No. Think about how long you and I have been on radio, not just at Paratruth Radio, but all of our shows since 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, this subject has never come up. Uh, and it's really interesting. And the reason being is because uh, really humanity just likes to focus on the fear factor of what is unknown. You know, and what is unknown is usually scary for most people. Uh, And and I think that's why we always think of these greys and the reptilians, et cetera, uh, definitely being something evil. Now, one thing, a couple of things that you brought up that were really interesting is this idea of genetics, of course, um, Mm -hmm. that they're they're doing these healings uh, and coming to earth to learn about human genetics or to learn how to use it to manipulate their own genetics so that they can maybe live better, longer lives. We don't even know. Maybe these aliens are in some sort of pain based, you know, based on what they look and the type of traveling they're doing, the amount of speed they'd have to travel at. Um, Who knows? There's so many factors that we can't even begin to fathom at the moment. But that's not to say that there isn't still some sort of war going on in a way. We've talked about how the greys and the reptilians kind of have this clashing uh, thing going on uh, and other bug-like aliens and likes humanity, of course. Also, supposedly government looking into genetics. Uh, We know that for a fact. you know, in illnesses, various viruses. Uh, this is something that everybody, not just on earth, but perhaps around the universe is trying to learn. Uh, and so I think there is some sort of like, it's kind of like uh, Russia and the US trying to get to the moon. Who's going to get there first? Same thing. Whoever gets there is going to learn more about the moon, but it's all about right. the title of who gets there first. And maybe that's what's happening with even the extraterrestrials. Maybe there's not so much a a war in the sense of, you know, we're enemies. And if we ever encounter each other, there's going to be a fight to the death, but more so, hey, we're enemies in the scientific community. And one of us are going to learn the genetic code that's going to help the universe in the future right uh so possibilities i don't know again this is something that's just so far out there for for someone like myself and i'm sure you and most of us listening or you guys listening it's just hard to fathom and really understand but it's interesting and it's a new take on the um visitation of extraterrestrials right well i've you know we've heard the whole genetics thing before because of um talking to people who 
have been, or I should say, talking to people who have researched uh, people being abducted, uh, babies taken out of their mother's womb mm-hmm. um, to never be seen again. Uh, and, and these are almost full-term babies. Um, but they also claim in those same cases that they were impregnated by the aliens. Um, I, I've heard numerous stories about that. And so for extraterrestrials to be fascinated with our genetics or genetics as a whole um, isn't really a new concept, but the healing part, especially with um, the range that Preston was talking about from anything from a single cut on the finger to full-blown uterine cancer, um, diabetes, he had named several different other cases, medical cases. Um, so it, it's like he said, it's not really talked about and other researchers have heard these stories. And I do agree with you to the extent that humanity always wants to concentrate on the negative. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because we're afraid of the unknown or afraid of something different than we are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, um, yeah. You know, and the idea of, well, two things. One, the fact that these people who are being healed are legitimately seeing beams of light. Right. When they're healed is interesting. Right. Especially right. when we're, talking about biblical biblical context or just healing in general from a source other than obviously earth. Uh, there's a lot of discussion throughout the occult even uh, of these beams of light that have been able to heal or do something uh, miraculous to people. Not saying that they're one in the same thing, but it's still just an interesting little thing to note. You know, it's, it's interesting. Did I use that word? Uh, <laughs> um, well, Preston, I mean, Preston even said himself, it it's almost bordering on spiritual or or, or uh, sure. something other than a physical being doing the healing. Um, so it, it is interesting. And, and everything that he was talking about as far as healing is concerned. Um, and then also, too, one of the things that he said the aliens we're always saying is don't be afraid of us. Right. And what is it that angels, every angel in the Bible ever said mm-hmm. to humans when they came to them? Yeah. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and you know, it, again, is it, does that mean that these aliens are also the angels? I mean, it's possible. It's possible. They're one, one in the same. I mean, we don't know. Right. We, we know limited, uh, uh, description of what angels look like and god created a number like a magnitude we're talking about millions of angels uh each one could be significantly different from another each having their own uh personal attributes you know on their face or the bodies or whatever Uh, so who knows what exactly they look like or what they can appear as or why they appear as they do uh there's so many different you know branches of where this can go and where it could lead but doesn't mean that they're alien or that they're angels it could be just aliens who happen oh, right. to know hey this is you know when angels came to earth when god comes to earth this is the way he did and people found 
comfort in that. So, hey, we're going to comfort you by doing the same thing. Who knows? We don't really or know. All entities outside of humanity are like, the humans are scared of freaking everything. Just tell them that you're not there to hurt them and they'll be okay. Right. But even then, most humans is probably like, oh, no, no, you're lying to me, right? You're going to hurt me. <laughs> right. You know, especially when you're like, I'm not going to hurt you. And then you stick them with a needle and then cut them open to heal them. But, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, think of it this way, though. Uh, because what happens when a pet has a thorn in their paw or, you know, they're injured or sick, you know, mm -hmm. you can try to comfort them the best you can. But the fact is, even if it's your own dog or cat, even more so, a wild animal out in nature who they don't know you're coming to help them they think they're going to be hurt by you but you're just trying to help them up in that tree you know or get back to their family mm -hmm. or whatever that's kind of how humanity is with aliens which very well may be a higher life form for all we know from what we are and if not higher they're at least more knowledgeable than what humans are right uh, seemingly and so I, I think in that sense you think of us as being these animals out in nature who don't understand that we're there to help them um they're still a fear factor even after you comfort them get them all swaddled and put you know wherever they're still like uh, are, you, are you going away don't get close i'm scared <laughs> you know it's it's yeah it, it's the way humanity is I, I think we're pre um I don't programmed destined, but like pre-programmed not even programmed but i guess from birth we're programmed right to fear things naturally mm. because that's how you protect right. yourself it's how you protect your body your mind uh things like that if you walked into you know onto earth you grew up with no fear whatsoever uh, you probably end up in some very bad situations and end up pretty darn hurt or dead even um and that also you know, means you're a psychopath and you were probably going to kill people that's that's possible as well, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, but, you know, that, that there's a reason fear exists. Uh, the right. problem, though, is when p uh, fear is then blown out of proportion and we no longer can keep it in that little tiny box because it gets the best of us. Uh, and that's where our faults lie when it comes to fear and understanding. Uh, when you fear something you don't understand, you can never actually learn about it because you're too scared to. So you have to have a balance. You got to find it, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I agree 100% that you should not be afraid of everything. I, I mean, of course, that's not to say don't be afraid of nothing. Mm -hmm. But you have to um, just think of, since we were talking about the healing UFOs, uh, healing people, just think about when you go to the doctor. And they tell you, hey, look, um, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have cancer. Two things will happen. First, we're going to be afraid of dying. Second, we're going to start blaming the doctors for not catching this sooner. Blaming right. the doctors for making us sick. Um, and that all plays into fear. Mm -hmm. So... When Preston was talking about the the whole, you know, people are still afraid, um, and it's a traumatic experience. That can be said about any surgery that human doctors do, let alone right. whatever these extraterrestrials are doing or, or beings are doing that are outside of our understanding of medical technology. Right. Yeah. 
So overall, what were your what were your thoughts uh, about? Do do you think there are more to these healings than? Um, do you, do you think that like you had brought up to Preston, is it something where they're like experimenting and then the healing just happens, or is it they're well cornering actual certain people to heal them? Yeah, I mean, it, in my experience, just based on my own research and the people that we talked with or we've spoken with, uh, it's most likely that the majority majority, if not all of these people who have been healed, um, have had some sort of correspondence or relation to these entities in the past. They've seen them, uh, encountered them in some way. Even if they don't remember it, it might be a suppressed memory. Uh, mm. And as such, you know, there has been a lot of discussion, a lot of books about how uh, various extraterrestrial beings uh, come to Earth and choose certain individuals and they follow them their entire life and they just kind of watch over them. And sometimes they're there, they're, there's stories that they're there to help them. There's stories that they're there to, to guide them. You know, there's stories that they're just in the background, keeping an eye. That's it. Um, all very mysterious. Now, whether or not there's some greater agenda to it, you know, I don't know. It's possible on the initial abduction, uh, say your abduction as a child, maybe they do some something, some sort of experimentation, or they get you with that little chip uh, or whatever. Maybe it's a way to see how your body responds to this genetic alteration. Uh, not that it's altering you, but to see if whether that particular person has the genetics that they can use to help uh, create a better whatever it is they're looking for to help themselves if they're trying to help themselves. Uh, I think they're also trying to just find you know, the strengths and weaknesses of humanity as a study case. Simple as that. Nothing good or bad, just out of curiosity. Same reason why we have animals in a zoo, which sucks. They shouldn't be. They're there for the people, though, to see. And then people who are there to train them and learn about them are continuing their education to better understand what these creatures, how they live. Um, right. And, you know, and here's the thing, it's very possible. I mean, whether or not aliens are time traveling or they're uh, just a old, much older race, it's possible that the human race is next at some point to be these outer space beings and living amongst the reptilians and the greys and the bugs and all that stuff, you know. And so maybe they're waiting to see how are we going to do it? What is the context of our nature? Uh, right now, we're very war-driven, hateful, mm. scared creature. If we were to just pick up going to space and meet these other aliens, we know what's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to be Earth. bullies and go start. <laughs> like, oh, hey, you're great. Kaboom! Oh, you're right. you're you're a reptilian. Hey, let's drop this nuclear bomb. See what happens. You know. <laughs> Oh, you're a bug? Do you live like the cockroaches on our earth? Can you survive this <laughs> nuclear warhead? Let's find out. You know, it's just, it's a mess. So they're probably, it's possible that they could be keeping a really close eye on us to see, you know, how is our nature going to change and evolve over time? And even can they influence it through the people that they've been working with um, over the years, you know? Right. All right, folks. Well. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Preston about 
this topic, like Eric said, something we have never covered in all of our years podcasting, paranormal podcasting. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Check out Preston Dennett, all of his books, uh, even the, the Healing Power of UFOs. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, next week kicks off spooky season for oh, yeah, yeah. Radio. Um, no guest, just going to be us uh, with the first kickoff. And then uh, October 10th, we will be talking to Shanna Stoker, who is a descendant of, yeah, you guessed it, Bram Stoker. Um, then October 17th, Jamie Drones to talk about the Day of the Dead. Um, then we run into Scarefest. And then we've lined up a guest from October's in Ohio to talk about witchcraft and the spooky season so got a lot of great stuff coming up um i will say this again there is something big coming for paratruth radio as soon as we get the okay to say so we will let you know what's going on but you're just gonna have to stay tuned and find out so until next week folks where you will find us same time same channel my name is justin and i'm eric peace This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.